So yes, we come to the last in our series, going through Jonah. Uh, and I have to say, I've really enjoyed it. I found it very challenging, very stimulating, and very relevant for us in life today. Uh, and I think this topic about forgiveness and the challenge of forgiveness is equally so. Uh, as we get into that, though, I want to show you a picture, first of all. It's a picture of a bus stop, a bus shelter in Rotherham. Um, quite a nice shelter, I think. Um, in fact, it's just been put up there at the cost of about £6,000. Here it is from another angle as well. Now, the only unusual thing about this is there are no buses running along that road anymore. They spent all this money, but in March, the twice-daily bus route was stopped. But they still managed to put up a new bus shelter, even though there are no buses going along. What's the point of a bus shelter where there are no buses? It was a mistake that was made, and the council have apologized for it and put a note up saying, please do not wait here. This bus stop has no buses. Now, we could look at chapter 4 of Jonah a little bit like this, because for those of you that haven't been part of it, or for those of you that have been for that matter, let me recap the story a little bit, because it feels like last week we got to the end of the story. It, you see, we've been following Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah and told him to go to Nineveh, and Jonah was disobedient. He, he went in the opposite direction towards Tarshish. Uh, and we saw, as we followed through the story, that a storm came up. The Lord sent a storm after Jonah. Uh, and Jonah eventually was thrown overboard. Looked like it would be to his death, but he was swallowed by a big fish. And he ended up being vomited back onto the land. This time when God says to him, go to Nineveh, he does go to Nineveh. He preaches to the city, and the city... Everyone in it repents and turns to the Lord. Uh, and where we left it last time are these words where it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So there we have our message of Jonah. You know, it, disobedience is bad. Obedience is good. A simple message. We see that God is a God of grace. You know, Jonah messes up, but God gives him another chance. The people of Nineveh, who are evil, turn, and they are given another chance. God is full of grace. And so there we have the end of our story, don't we? It seems to fit. It all flows together nicely. Uh, and yet now we have this, this, this unusual chapter, this chapter 4, where we see Jonah is angry. There's something about a plant that grows up miraculously that then gets eaten by a worm, uh, and Jonah is angry again. And it finishes, and let, let me put it in the most accurate Hebrew, in the order that it comes in, finishes with this in verse 11, and should, this is God speaking, should not I pity Nineveh? that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. That's the end. You know, when you read it, you might actually be 
turning over the page and saying, where's chapter 5? Where's the answer to the question? Because there isn't an answer. It is just left there. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Why? What's going on? Well, one of the things we need to remind ourselves is, what is the book? Uh, and when I say that, there are different types of literature within the Bible. So it isn't, for example, Leviticus and Deuteronomy. It isn't law, in other words. That's not the primary reason for it being written. Um, it, it isn't history, as we might get in Kings or Chronicles. It, it isn't poetry, as we get in Psalms, or Song of Solomon. It's different from that. This is part of the section of the Bible of the minor prophets. Minor, just referring to the length of the books rather than not being so important. So it's part of the minor prophets. Now the prophets wrote and gave their message, which was a message from the Lord to God's people, which was to reveal something more about God's heart for them, about what God wanted to say into their lives. And very often it wasn't a popular message. And actually what's happening in this part here, uh, as we get to this end part, as we're left hanging, we're left dangling with this question, is I believe it's actually for us to understand the whole purpose of the book, which is to say something about who God is that the people who are listening might feel a bit uncomfortable about. Uh, and it's this very issue of forgiveness, and that forgiveness is challenging. And so there are three things that I want to talk about this morning. The problem of forgiveness, the problem of agenda, the problem of perspective. These things are challenging for us. The problem of forgiveness, the problem of agenda, the problem of perspective. We're going to start with the problem of forgiveness. So the people in Nineveh have turned, they've repented. God has gone back and said, I'm no longer going to destroy the people as I once threatened. Jonah's response, Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. You see, the whole reason we get revealed to us about why Jonah fled is that he was afraid that God would do exactly what he has done. It wasn't that he didn't think it was possible. It was that he was afraid that God would forgive them. Because actually one of the challenges of forgiveness is that sometimes it is offensive to us. Forgiveness can be offensive to us. Let's put ourselves, first of all, in Jonah's position. Jonah is there, and the land of Nineveh, representing the capital of the Assyrian Empire, a cruel and horrid nation. We've talked about uh, that already. They were feared. They ruled, actually, through fear, through treating people so badly that you would be afraid to revolt against them. You would be afraid to stand up against them. You would just go along with what they said. That was how they ruled. Uh, there are kings who boasted about their cruelness. There's one king, King Ashurnasipal. King Ashurnasipal. 
He claimed, and I won't give you the exact words he used for your ears, but he said that he liked burning, skinning, and decapitating his enemies. If a town or a city ever rebelled against their rule, what they would do is they would make sure they destroyed the city completely. People would be killed. If anyone got away, maybe the young women and the youngest children would, but they would be put into slavery to the nation of Assyria. They would go to great lengths to destroy the place. They were even known at times to divert rivers to flood the town that had been there. You know, imagine the effort that goes into that. This was to serve as a warning to everyone else, do not mess with us. The beheadings, the, the, the taking off of the skin, this is horrific. Uh, and what happens is the king, in response to Jonah's message, says, we're not going to eat or drink anything. We don't know for exactly how long. And we're going to wear sackcloth, which is the fur of animals worn inside to kind of be a bit itchy for yourselves. And um, that's okay now, isn't it, God? We don't need to be destroyed. And that's offensive to Jonah. Let's change the situation a little bit. It was C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity who wrote this. He says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive as we had during the war. He wrote Mere Christianity not long after the Second World War. Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. I imagine the situation is different. It, let's put ourselves in a more modern, not completely up-to-date, but a more modern position of the Second World War, the time when C.S. Lewis was writing. Let's imagine for a minute the outcome of the war was different. Because near the end, uh, uh, somebody, a prophet of God, went into Nazi Germany and said, 40 more days and Nazi Germany will be overthrown. Uh, and then Hitler says, well, actually, I, I'm going to miss a few meals, and I'm going to wear a fur coat inside out and say sorry to God. We're equal now, aren't we? Everything's okay? And that, just imagine how offensive that is. I have conversations with people sometimes when they're exploring faith, and we talk about the grace of God. And say, actually, the grace of God is so amazing that it covers anything anyone can ever do and anything anyone ever has done. When somebody says, sorry, God repent, God says, I forgive you. Uh, and actually, then we might have a discussion and people say, but what about? What about a paedophile who's murdered children? What about Hitler? What about Osama bin Laden? What about some of these other terrorists? What about uh, suicide bombers? And they talk about how can God ever forgive those people? The idea that you're talking about, about um, grace that covers everyone, can be offensive. It can be offensive. You see, that's what God is saying to the people at this particular moment. That's why he leaves it at a que with a question. Should I not have pity on this nation? We'll come back to look at that a little bit more in a little bit. But this is the challenge of forgiveness, that sometimes the call to forgive and God forgiving people comes when they don't really deserve it. 
That's the challenge. You know, it's okay when we forgive people who we know they're really sorry and they make amends and do various things. Okay, maybe we can forgive them. But actually the forgiveness that comes to the people of Nineveh comes before we've seen any evidence that they have changed in the long term. They've just said sorry for now and they've missed a few meals and God says that's okay, you're forgiven. They haven't really shown that they deserve it. And yet, the offensive part of this is that surely if God is a God of love, then he should forgive. We get that on one side. Yes, that's, that's what, how we show love, forgiveness. That's good. But also there's something about justice as well, isn't there? That actually when you love someone, you don't ignore justice when they're mistreated. Uh, I mean, put it on a different scale. Think of a, a, what you might class as a good teacher that you remember at school. You know, the best teachers that I remember were the ones who, yes, they would listen to you and they would respond to you, but they didn't turn a blind eye and ignore wrong things that were happening. They combined the two. They didn't ignore what was going on. They responded to it. If somebody stepped out of line, they'd do something about it. But also, they were fair, and they listened, and they would give you another chance. That's, that's goodness. What about God? What about God in this story? Where's the justice there? That's the challenge of forgiveness. Uh, and of course, we come in a better position than Jonah and the people that he was speaking to at that time because we live on the other side of the cross and Jesus and what he did. Because God reveals his goodness to us in that he says, all that is wrong, all the things that go on in the world that are wrong, I don't turn a blind eye to them. I, they need to have a penalty that's paid for them. But you know what? I'm going to pay that penalty myself. And I'll come down to the earth in human form. And I will take that penalty and pay it for everyone else that they might be forgiven. Uh, and the amazing grace of God is this. It really does cover each and every person. The amazing grace of God is that no matter what we have done, however serious it might have been, God's grace can cover it. Uh, and actually... The challenge of forgiveness comes to us when that call to us is exactly the same. We're called to be people who forgive. And that can be difficult. Particularly the people in our lives who have hurt us in a way for which there is no excuse whatsoever. Where there is great pain, where they have really hurt us. And you say, why? Forgiveness is difficult. Forgiveness is challenging. Uh, and what God reveals to us through Jesus is the great cost of forgiveness. It costs Jesus his life. There is a cost in forgiveness. And you may be here today carrying great hurts, things that have happened to you in life, things that you really do not want to forgive somebody for, 
hear this. God wants us to forgive, but there can be a cost in that, and there is cost in forgiveness. But also, forgiveness is not about how we feel. Forgiveness is about the decision that we make. You see, we might be angry, we might be bitter, we might be full of resentment for the hurt that has been done to us. And forgiveness, to let that go, to kind of let the other person off the hook, feels costly. And it doesn't start with how we feel, it starts with a decision that says, I understand that God, you love me and you forgive me everything. And I understand that your grace covers everyone. And you call me to forgive as well. If you are here today struggling with forgiveness, know that you are not alone because forgiveness is challenging. But God calls us to forgive and to enter into that process. It's costly and it starts with a decision. But thanks be to God because it's because of him that we are forgiven and that our sins are forgiven. And we're not constantly having to try and work out, am I good enough to deserve the grace of God? Because the answer is none of us are good enough, but God in his grace is good enough. And he says we're forgiven. Praise God. The challenge that we face of forgiveness. I wanted to spend most time on that particular area, but there are two other problems of forgiveness that I want to talk about. And uh, the first of those is the problem of agenda. I came across this cartoon, which I quite liked. It's a Peanuts cartoon. Uh, Sally, I think it is, and Charlie Brown. Sally says, I hate everything. I hate the whole world. Charlie says, I thought you had inner peace. I do, but I still have outer obnoxiousness. <laughs> you know, when people follow the Lord, we're supposed to find inner peace, but sometimes we're still quite obnoxious on the outside. Look at Jonah. You know, here he is, he's, he's greatly displeased at what God has done. He's angry, and he goes out and sits down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. It's almost like he's waiting there and saying, look, I'm sure the people of Nineveh, they'll mess up. Maybe God will still bring his judgment on them. Or maybe he's out there thinking, well, God's changed his mind once, maybe he'll change his mind again. What is for certain is he's not wishing good things on that city. You know, just imagine for a second. Imagine there's an enormous event going on in Norwich, taking place at Carrow Road. Uh, and somebody goes there to preach, and it's filled with people who are non-Christians. And, um, and they preach a very, very brief sermon, and everyone in the stadium turns to God. And the person who's preached then goes and walks up St. James Hill, looks out over the city and says, I'm angry because I didn't want them to repent. I didn't want them to come to know God. I wanted you to punish them. What would you think of that person? Quite obnoxious, isn't it? Not very nice. That, that's what Jonah is doing. He's going and saying, I really don't like the fact that you've forgiven them. I still want bad things to happen to them. He's angry. There's a lot of anger 
in this passage. It's one of those words that keeps coming up. Verse 1, Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Uh, He's angry because the Lord is not swift to anger. Uh, Then later on, after the vine grows up and then is destroyed, God says to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? And he says, I do. I'm angry enough to die. He's angry. In fact, there's only one thing in this story that we're told makes him happy. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade to his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. You see, what this tells us about Jonah is this. He he cares about the things that make a difference to him. It's all about him. He wants God to do what he wants. He doesn't want God to do what God wants to do. He wants God to do what Jonah thinks he should do. He is angry because his agenda is not being followed. He is angry because something happens in life when the vine is eaten by a worm, uh, destroyed by the worm. He's angry because things are going badly for him. The agenda isn't the same. Remember, he's a prophet of the Lord. He's a follower of the Lord. And yet he is angry with God because God's agenda is not his agenda. He's angry with God because things are not going well for him in the world. That's the challenge. That's the challenge of forgiveness. When you see the people of Nineveh who get the blessing of forgiveness, when you don't think they should have it, when you don't want God to act in that way, when your agenda is different, when actually you're suffering in the heat of the sun, the agenda can be different. Let me ask you a question. How close is your agenda to God's, do you think? How much time do you spend trying to work out, God, what is your agenda? Because I want to follow it. And how much time are we just simply following our own agendas? Because we have lists of all the things that we need to do. What are we doing? Whose agenda is it? When you last got angry, maybe it's a moment in the last week, you may may have expressed that anger, you may have just felt it on the inside. What was it that caused the anger? Was it that something didn't go as you wanted it to go? Was it a righteous anger? I mean, when I look at my life, I can see things that I feel angry about that are actually, it's not about righteousness, it's about things that haven't gone as I've wanted them to go. Whose agenda are we following? You see, the challenge of seeing forgiveness here is that Jonah is challenged to try and see things from God's perspective. What about us? Whose agenda are we following? And that brings me to the final thing that I want to look at, that of perspective. Here are a couple of pictures. Um, what, what do you see in these pictures? A number of people, when they saw this picture on the internet, they said they see a beach scene at night. You see the waves just breaking. You see a sandy beach with one or two rocks. The nighttime sky. Uh, until it's revealed that it's actually a picture of a car door that needs repairing. Here's another one. This was doing the rounds on the internet. The question, somebody tweeted this. They said, is this a picture of a door or a beach? 
they were asking people to vote. Over 200,000 people voted, and um, it was split pretty evenly. Then the person uh, revealed what it actually is as a beach scene. Although some people question it, because they think maybe they put some people on there. You can just see some people if you get close enough to show a beach scene there. What is it? Different perspectives. You see, that's what's going on in this last part as God speaks to Jonah here. He's challenging him to see a different perspective. You have this vine, this vine that's grown up that brought you happiness, that's died. And the Lord says, you've been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? He's trying to teach him a different perspective. You see, Jonah's got his perspective on the world, and God says, but you need to see things differently. Look at it differently. You're concerned about this vine. You didn't plant it. It wasn't there for ages, but you missed it when it was gone. You were angry about it being destroyed. What about me as I look at the great city of Nineveh? 120,000 people in it. Uh, and he says they, they don't know their right hand from their left. What he's talking about here is spiritual blindness. They don't get it. That's what he's saying. There are people in this city of Nineveh who just don't get what's happening, what's going on. Jonah's there looking over the city. I, I haven't made many links with the New Testament, but here's one we could. Jesus, the week before he dies, looks out over Jerusalem. And what does he do? He weeps for what he sees, because they're spiritually blind. Jesus on the cross cries out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They're spiritually blind. That's what he's saying about the people of Nineveh. Jonah, what you see is you see an evil people who are doing horrible things. What do I see? People who are spiritually blind who just don't get it. I still love them. I don't want to destroy them. You know, what about this cattle? Why are cattle mentioned? You wonder about that? It, it's a particularly stark, isn't it, when you look at it in the most accurate Hebrew, where it actually finishes with the word cattle. What's going on? I, I think my favorite explanation, the one that I think fits best with this, is that cattle represent the wider creation of God. You see, he didn't just create the people, he created the animals, the cattle, all that there is around. Uh, and what God is saying here, I think, is that there's something about this. Actually, look at who I am. I'm not a God who wants to destroy. I'm a God who wants to restore, redeem, renew. That's who I am. That's what I want to do to people and to the whole of creation. perspective is different. And I just wonder if that's the perspective as we draw this series to a close that we need to have of who God is, the question that comes to us. God who says, shouldn't I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? What he's saying is actually, I'm a God who belongs to restore, renew, 
redeemed. That's who I am. Isn't that the right thing? He invites us to answer that question for ourselves. Isn't it right that God is a God who wants to restore, who wants to redeem, who wants to renew all things? Actually, isn't that the story of the whole of the Bible? From beginning to end, a world spoiled and God working to bring renewal, to bring restoration, to bring redemption. That's the story of the Bible from beginning to end. That's why we are a people, as we've been thinking about our verse of the year, the primary part of it which we've been remembering through this series is the call to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're to be a people who go. As I heard somebody say uh, to me in a conversation with this week, they said, we're not called to be a group of fish who come into an aquarium and enjoy swimming around together. We're called to be fishers of people. We're called to go, to go and share our faith, to go and make a difference to the world in which we live. We're to go and work with God who calls us to be people who go to help redeem, restore, and renew the whole of creation. To go and help people who are lost, who are spiritually blind, to make a difference to the world, to the environment in which we live. You know, we hear so much about our environment at the minute. I can see within this passage and in a lot of scripture, our call as Christians who are to be stewards of the world that God has created, to be people who make a difference to the environment in which we live, to take seriously what we can do to make a difference. And we're to be a people who care about the fact that there are those who are spiritually blind, who do not know Jesus. And to be people who therefore say, I'm not satisfied with just coming and celebrating with one another and enjoying each other's company, although that's a great thing to do. But also I know that my call is to go out from this place, to go to share the hope of Jesus Christ that people may be redeemed, restored, and renewed in the name of Jesus. That's the story of Jonah. And that's why it finishes with the question. Because God says, isn't it right? that that's the God who I am? What's our answer? And what's our response? Will we be people who say, yes, I will go and I will follow you because that's who you are. May God help us indeed to do that. Amen.